0: Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information
1: and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson.
0: Well, we all know Mondays suck, but this podcast is going to kick ass because I have a returning guest Travis Glassman on uh, the podcast today and his season last year including his wife's season uh, they live in western Kansas and they had an absolutely epic 2016 archery season Uh, and just the way they hunt makes me extremely jealous and intrigued all at the same time uh travis is the man when it comes to locating big bucks especially in terrain that is flat with no trees and uh that is where he spends a lot of time out in the flatlands his words so today's podcast is about his wife and his 2016 archery season how uh kind of he describes the terrain that he hunts his uh strategy and then uh you know putting the the game plan together to get after it it's just it amazes me how the spot and stock guys get it done and i know we've had quite a few spot and stock hunts um podcasts lately but uh i find it really intriguing because it's something that i don't typically do a lot uh i want to try to do it some more but I have a lot of trees and I'm a tree stand hunter and that's how I was raised and taught myself how to hunt because that's the terrain that I have. So this podcast is awesome, you're going to love it. Also this weekend man, um, shot my bow, got it right where I want it. I still don't know what I'm going to do for a site. Um, but to me that's really an afterthought right i i can still go and put another site on if i want to this late in the game and it's all about form and if i feel that if i if i switch if i switch releases or excuse me if i switch sites it's not going to be too much more of an actual uh, you know It's not going to be too big of a deal to uh, change a a site this late in the game. So if that made sense, maybe it did, maybe it doesn't. But anyway, uh, I'm still debating on what site I want to use. Uh, I'm grouping uh, fairly good right now. I still have a a lot of work to do, um, but I still have a lot of time because I'm not going to be hunting a lot in October. I still feel that um, I I have time before the, the rut hits to hone my archery skills. I also have been putting together my gear, and I know we're still a long ways out, but at the end of this month, it's the 26th, I've already scheduled it with my wife, I'm gonna be out there, I'm gonna be setting up more trail cameras, I'm gonna be uh, switching the trail cameras off the mineral stations, I'm gonna be putting them in the pinch points travel corridors uh, next to bedding areas, the ones that I that go to the bedding areas, Uh, I won't touch until the season's over uh, The the ones that are on the fence crossings the pinch points uh, some inside corners Those are going to be checked, you know when hunting season starts. So that means not probably in until November and then um, I've been Checking my tree stands and uh, you know Actually this I think it was Thursday or Friday last week. I think it was Friday after I got off work I ended up replacing all of my lone wolf stick straps so my lone wolf sticks that I used to uh, gain height in my tree stand setup. I because I hadn't in several years I wanted to make sure I was safe so I ordered a whole bunch of new ones and I replaced them and uh, so that's what I did now I feel comfortable climbing uh, there's no excuses as far as safety is concerned so I got that taken care of and that kind of leads us to the uh, I guess the the product spotlight or the partner spotlight or the commercial whatever however you want to look at it I've been using lone wolf for a long time and I can remember starting out with tree stands and trying to move you know at first I learned that if the deer aren't there they're not there so you got to be mobile so I tried to, when I first started being mobile I tried to be mobile with a ladder stand and that was damn near impossible. And so I got a used lone wolf from a guy I knew, uh, sticks and a stand. And he kind of walked me through how to use it. And then from there, it was like a game changer because it, I didn't have to rely on a straight tree uh, because of the bat wing design. And the, the way they're designed is you can you can set up in a crooked tree and your stand can still be straight. So that's a huge plus. They're also made in America and that's another huge plus. So those two reasons alone, uh, you know, you're not, you're not trying to find a tree that fits your tree stand. You're finding the right tree to hunt deer out of. And uh, that is for me the most important because you don't want to be two trees away. You want to be in the tree. If that makes sense, and there the Lone Wolf design sticks and stands uh, are perfect for my the way I hunt. I do a lot of running, gunning throughout the year. Um, so, if you guys don't know already, you should know uh, the. Lone Wolf is doing a giveaway, right? So if you haven't signed up for it yet, go to lonewolfhuntingproducts.com slash nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers and enter your name and your email address. And what that does is that's going to enter you in to a giveaway. The next giveaway is going to be drawn on September 1st and uh, we're going to be giving away another tree stand and I'm gonna pull a name at random out of that list. Then, once you actually sign up for the giveaway, you're going to get a discount code. And the discount code is 9FC50. So what that does, it's going to give you $50 off of all orders over $199. So basically $25 off for a tree stand and, uh, that's a pretty good. That's that's a pretty good deal. Twenty five percent off of a two hundred dollar order. Um, that's fifty dollars off. So you're looking under two hundred bucks for a uh, a lone wolf tree stand, and you're not going to find a discount like that anywhere else. So please take advantage of it. And I don't need to tell you that lone wolf tree stands are the most badass tree stand on the market as far as hang ons are concerned, even their climbers as well. So please. Go take advantage of that. Support the companies that support this podcast. Um, other than that, guys, Travis Glassman, kick-ass season, and he's going to share that with us right now on today's, I guess, BS Session Hunter Profile. I don't even I don't even know what it's called. If the guy's been on the podcast, this thing, I don't know if this is his second time or his third time. It's horrible that I don't know this. Anyway, it's not really a hunter profile because we've already had that before. But uh, maybe we'll call it like a season recap of 2016, him and his wife. It's a kick-ass podcast. I'm talking again too much. Here we go. All right. On the phone with me is a big buck killer. And and not just you, but your wife as well. She's a big <laughs> buck killer too. But on the phone today, Mr. Travis Glassman. How you doing today, buddy? I am very well. It's always a pleasure talking to you, Mr. Dan. I How tell you, you what. I'm doing good and I was I'm really looking forward to this because I am very intrigued with the Nebraska, Western Nebraska, Western Kansas, you know, North and South Dakota, spot and stock, flatland type of hunting that you guys do out there and I I get a kick out of it because it is it is so different so much more different than your tree stand hunting that i do so every time i i talk to you i just get i get i get pumped because it's so different and someday i'm gonna try it so because the last time i tried it it just was kind of a bust when i went to nebraska but um but yeah so there's that um you live in western kansas correct that is correct, yes. Okay. And remind everybody what you do for a living. So I am a, my title
1: is heavy equipment specialist for a natural gas pipeline company. <clears throat> Basically, on a day-to-day basis, I transport uh, a lot of our heavy engine parts uh, for our compressors and our engines that uh, compress the gas down the pipeline for your smaller companies that, like, your household, you know, people would pay their bills to, so... We're kind of like the UPS of natural gas. We uh, get paid to transport it from the well, which in our case and on this pipeline is up near Rollins, Wyoming. And uh, we transport the gas uh, south and east into kind of the Kansas City area, um, Joplin, Missouri, clear south into Oklahoma, near Oklahoma City. Um, so, yeah, we, get, we just get paid to, to transport the gas. And what I do is anytime any repairs need uh, done on the pipeline it's my job to excavate the pipeline it's extremely high pressure large like 18 and 20 inch pipelines yeah and so i'm i'm in an excavator a backhoe and i'll you know me and another a spotter will excavate the pipeline and uh uh inspect everything for for dents or gouges or corrosion or anything like that and then we'll take the right steps to get things taken care of and cover back up and go on about our business so I kind of do, you know, transport equipment
0: plus do a lot of excavating and stuff and trench work and stuff like that. So, Right. So there's kind of a theme I get with some of these people, including yourself, who they have outdoor jobs. Right. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. I got a I got a, a buddy up in um, South Dakota or a, a guy I know in South Dakota who is on the road constantly. Um, I got a buddy in North Dakota. Uh, who works outside around oil wells Um, and then another guy Mm -hmm. down in Texas who I've had on the podcast works outside um, doing some oil oil and gas stuff as well so Mm -hmm. while you're out working are you also keeping your eye open for any deer or mule deer in your area oh absolutely yeah I mean that's
1: always in my mind is an addict like most of us are you know you're always your head's on a swivel. So, um, I'm always looking for, for the next honey hole or the next landowner who I may be able to establish a relationship with. And that has worked in, in my profession, luckily. So it's definitely a benefit to be out and about and talking with
0: people and, and seeing the countryside. Right. So out there, the, the, the deer population is, is probably not what it is here in Iowa, right? So when you go out hunting, how many, how many deer do you usually see in a night? Um, I would say if I'm
1: just kind of doing scouting mission, cruising around, um, depending on the time of year, you know, like right now we have a lot of standing crops. So the answer to that question is very few, but as those crops come out, um, and, and the rut comes near, you know, you start seeing them moving uh, obviously first and last light. And I would say, I mean, maybe 20 or 30 per night, if you put on quite a few miles. Now, if you're sitting in a tree stand, um, in, in a nice funnel area or something, I would say five to 10, maybe that's right. dozen bucks together. So there's, there's not a lot of deer numbers out here. Um, it's that you have to know exactly what you're doing. Um, if you're wanting to shoot a mature buck, I mean, they're, they're few and far between, but when you find one, they're usually got some age to them. So the H class is
0: good. Um, but unfortunately you're going to have to work at it. So, right. Right. So this year, um, you hunt, I guess, you hunt, you hunt kind of a variety of different terrains, right? I mean, I think the last time we yeah. talked, you, you mentioned you're hunting these crop circles as well as, uh, you know, some some crick and river bottom as well. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so early season, like, like we're about
0: ready to get into, we
1: start our muzzleloader and then it's also our archery opener, but you have to wear orange at that time. Um, a lot of times if you find like a low spot coming out of a standing field, whether that be a circle of corn or, um, we have a lot of like cane that, that standing that gets chopped and baled for cattle. Um, a lot of times the deer will stay in that a lot of sorghum or Milo, whatever you want to call it. Um, so if you can find where a deer or group might be exiting one of those fields, that's a great ambush point because you can stay concealed obviously with the standing cross I and mean, it's, it's really nice to get the wind in your favor get tucked in and you can usually stay
0: very hidden so yeah um yeah what was the next question <laughs> <laughs> so so with with all that said uh do you have any do you have do you run trail cameras i mean do you got any deer that are on your hit list already for this upcoming year
1: um i have gotten my cameras out and i've only Uh, six of them, I, I have a dozen and I have them spread out amongst a few different small properties. Um, those are mostly in the spots where I, I would possibly true standard ground blind hunt, uh, for whitetail. And I don't really run trail cameras for mule deer because it's so wide open out here that you could, you could have all the trail cameras in the world and not have a lot of luck. But, um, as we all know, whitetail funnel through areas and, you know, historically, I've been able to pick out some really good spots for trail cameras and um I have gotten a couple a call I what I would call hit listers <laughs> this year. Nothing that um that has a lot of history. I have one buck in particular that I've been chasing the last couple of years that hasn't showed up on trail camera yet this year. So gotcha. I'm not sure where he might be. Um I'll still keep my eye open, but I've got a couple probably one forties
0: to one fifties types of white tails. Um that are showing up so far. Yeah. So when you go out on these little driveabouts and scouting missions, um, mm-hmm. you seen any mule deer as well? There are a few, um, unfortunately our
1: numbers in the last five years, I've really seen a decline. Um, I'm not sure what that is. I know that the this, this state of Kansas is really looking into it. I know that they're aware of the problem. Um, I'm a member of the Kansas Boat Hunters Association and I know that they're putting together some efforts to assist in some research and so it's definitely a problem. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't bank on coming out here and doing a mule deer hunt just yet just because it's a yeah. it's a tough go at it right now. In fact like I've pretty much concent- concentrated all my efforts toward whitetails for the most part unless some just pops out
0: and surprises me during the rut or something you know yeah for sure so. and and you're you're pretty far west in kansas um if you go if you were to go straight north in right. uh, all the way into nebraska into the sandhills that's where i hunted and i talked with a right. wildlife biologist and he told me that it's not a hundred percent of the reason for the mule deer decline in that area is that i guess whitetails are a more aggressive species And sometimes they will push mule deer, does, and bucks out of the area because of uh, that aggression level. Right. That's
1: absolutely something that I've witnessed and that I've heard as well. So I think there's some truth to it. Um, (laughs) The whitetail numbers are, they must be game, but it doesn't seem like I'm seeing that many more deer, even if they are whitetail. Right. so i i do know that there's some spots and areas that we have ran into some cwd positive tests and i'm wondering if we didn't run through a little bit of the, the ehd type stuff too uh in the last few years but anyway and yeah, mother nature takes care of itself is is my theory and i know that yeah. the herd's going to come and go and we got to try to do our best to to help out to, to get things back into balance if we can but you know, we get trumped a lot of times by mother nature
0: and that kind of takes over. So, right. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think I, I agree with you. Um, mother nature always has a way I feel of working itself out, especially with overpopulation, right? I mean, it will do its best to, um, thin like a thinner herd, you know, comes disease, Uh disease thins the herd. It brings the herd back to, uh, uh, a quantity that the landscape can take care of and can feed and you know, then in times of, you know, in good times, there can be a bigger herd and in bad times, well, you know what happens then. So that's right. Yeah. I absolutely
1: believe in that hundred percent. Everything uh, was put here on earth for a
0: reason and it takes care of itself. And that, that's my outlook anyway. Right. Right. So, White tail or the Muleys are kind of on the back burner for this season. You're kind of focused on white tails. Um but this past year, both you and your wife had another outstanding season. Um and she shot now this was her biggest buck to date, right?
1: Yes. And the second biggest buck in the house. <laughs> By by only lacking seven inches. Okay. To my 2015 buck that I talked to you about. Right. Uh, back at that time, and that was a 187
0: whitetail that I shot in September. So. And she shot a 185. Yeah. She shot a 180 on the nose. So 180. Yeah. Okay. So when 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 you guys measured that, and let's be honest, were you kind of crossing your fingers hoping it wouldn't break 180 186 <laughs> or whatever yours was? Well, um,
1: my wife and I have such a, a joking and, and prodding relationship that right. I knew that I would never live it down <laughs> if she outdid me. So, <laughs> you know, I'm not disappointed. Um, but I will say that her, her buck is, is front and center in the living room. So mm-hmm. we've kind of, you know, I, I got to display that thing. It's, it's quite impressive. So, right.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, because I can, I can see how, you know, if it was just a little bit bigger, that automatically she's means she's the best bow hunter in the house.
1: That's right. Yep, absolutely. And I would definitely be needing to listen to her and take tips and everything else. So. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> yeah, no, she's
0: she's very, very a good sport about it, and uh, yeah, we have a lot of fun with it. So, so I got, a, I got a question for you about uh, your guys' relationship. Um, mm-hmm was she always uh, into hunting or is that something that you got her into and then she just started liking, liking to do it with you?
1: Well, that definitely opens a good discussion. Um, her and I had been best friends since early high school days and her dad has always had always been into hunting. He actually was a world class trap shooter. So, you know, blue rock skeet shooter type type guy he can run a shotgun better than anyone I know um so anyway the background is there she never really did shoot a shotgun or anything she was just always around it um and then she knew my passion for bow hunting and I would kind of take her out here and there just kind of scouting and whatnot and then um we we first got married and we um were wanting to have kids and and we had a a difficult time at first not to get too into detail, but a couple of miscarriages and stuff like that. And anyway, it it ended up being a difficult time for, for both of us, mainly her because women don't take it nearly as good, you know? And so it, it it was a perfect situation for us to kind of get away from everyday life, get away from people who had comments and and she didn't really want to cope with people. And so it was a great segue into just, being out in nature, I honestly believe that that is the main reason she healed as well as she did is because we were just out together in the middle of nowhere chasing after whitetails. And yeah. she just be- she started shooting a bow, and I bought her a new bow, and she is a natural. I mean, I think she has a lot of her dad's hand-eye coordination, and-, yeah. and she also has extreme patience. She has extreme um, – uh, she just – doesn't get excited and, and it's right. not in a bad way it's just that she doesn't let her emotions take over her her bodily functions so right. she's able to operate under pressure and she's just an awesome awesome shot with a bow especially at live animals which is kind of the last thing that a bow hunter normally picks up is how to get it done on an animal so she started off just she shot a doe then she shot a nice you know, young buck and she just has worked up and, and right. obviously a 180 white is the latest and she's just right. amazing. So, right. Yeah. That's awesome. That's where we're at with her. Yeah. It's it's a great story and a great, uh, it, it's been awesome to coach her and watch her and she's, yeah, we've had an amazing time
0: and awesome memories. So, so the, the question is uh, kind of, are now when you guys go, are, I mean, are you a team all the time now? Uh, I mean, when you go out, you go out together or, or how's that work? I mean, let's say there's a a buck, you flip coins to see who goes or just, just, just open conversation when one's available, one's available. And if it's not, it's not how it works now is she's not as,
1: um, addicted as I am. And so she's, especially now that we've had kids, we have a three-year-old and a five-year-old boy and That takes up obviously a lot of time. I'm pre- preaching to the choir with you. Um, and so we can't both be gone unless we have a sitter. So right. basically what happens is I take my rut vacation and I go, and of course I'm scouting, you know, leading up to the pre-rut and, and on the weekends in the pre-rut. And then as, as soon as I feel like it's time, I'll take a week or two off and, and start going. And usually I'll, I'll take a buck within the first week and then I'll have some days or following weekends where we can line up a sitter and just kind of go out on day hunts together. Um, and so I kind of become her guide after I've taken a buck and that's not selfishly, it's just kind of logistically the way it works with kids. And I'm not opposed to, you know, if, if we've been, you know, we always run trail cameras and we both look at the, the photos together. You know, she's just as excited as I am to see what deer are popping up and stuff. And, if there's a dude that she's really into and we have a pattern on him, I'll absolutely put my, my tag, you know, in the, in the top drawer until we, until we can get her a buck. So, you know, it's just kind of whatever works. It's every year is probably a little more unique. So
0: (laughs) absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's kind of, that's really cool that she's kind of willing to go out and, you know, share that, that experience with you. Um, the next question I have is from a, one father to another, uh, you got, a, you got two boys and, uh, yep. I take it they are really interested in seeing what daddy's doing when he goes out there. I mean, are they tagging along now or, uh, how close do you, how close or how ready do you think they are, especially your mm-hmm. oldest boy until he's ready right. to maybe tag along?
1: Um, I've actually taken him. Uh, he was only, three the the April when he was three I took him turkey hunting uh, with a bow and and he he and I and and Kendra my wife were in the ground blind together and we were able to call into Tom and I shot him it was all on film and Kendra filmed his reaction and my reaction and and it was a great time um he he liked it and he's interested in it and he you know is always curious how everything goes on our hunt and I've asked him to go pretty much almost every turkey hunt. Um, I don't right. think he's quite there for deer yet, um, just because it sometimes it gets a little bit long on the sits and stuff like that. Right. But I mean, there are times, you know, especially now he's almost six and we'll be able to, you know, maybe try to get like a, an hour or two hunt in the evening if we have kind of a slam dunk spot, maybe for a doe or something like that, you know. Um, that would be awesome to take him along. And, and I will offer that every time I go, I just kind of leave it up to him. And he's probably not going to be as interested at first as my youngest. My youngest is all boy. He's all about that. He's, you know, we live on a a little farm with 15 acres and he's on the tractor with me as much as he can. And and he just will not let me do anything. If I walk out that door, he, he's got radars and he hears the door shut. (laughs) So. So daddy come, daddy come. I, I imagine, <laughs> yeah, I imagine he's going to be the outdoorsman. Um, gotcha. and the oldest boy is a little more into, um,
0: you know, he's, he's
1: really, really sharp in school and he's a little more of a bookworm, but not gotcha. saying that he won't be, you know, he, he's a sports, fan, he loves playing golf and baseball and stuff like that. Yeah. But,
0: um, anyway, yeah, it's, it's going to come for sure. For sure. Awesome. Now I did. Getting back to this 2016 season that you guys um, had, where y- your wife shot a 180 and you shot what a one like a 165, 160 class. Yes, yeah,
1: okay. middle 160s is what I ended up going. Not that I'm really worried about that, but right. to give people a reference, yeah.
0: And that, yeah, I, that's exactly what I'm asking for. Um, so now let's start at the very beginning. Uh, so 2000 and, 2015. You shot mm-hmm. uh, an absolute giant an, out there again, and mm-hmm. you know we're talking flat terrain, and this was from the ground as well, right? That two thousand buck, buck was from the ground. This whitetail, these two bucks were were from the ground as well. So after you after you shot that giant last year, and Kansas is only a one buck state, right? That's right. Yes. Right. Okay. So the season ends. And what you had just shot is that that's the biggest buck of your life, right? Yes, it is. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you just shot the biggest buck of your life. Um, What was your thought process after that season was over? Were you thinking about other deer that you had maybe seen or that you had a, an idea were around for the 2000, the next 2016 season, or did you kind of take a little break from thinking about hunting or, I guess, talk, talk to me about what you were thinking after that season was over leading up into this season. Okay, well, <laughs> I tagged out early in September, which I usually take
1: my season into the rut and, and usually fill my tag by the end of November. This was a a, a once-in-a-lifetime, for me anyway, situation where I had an awesome pattern uh, via trail camera and Uh, distant scouting out of a a tree stand that was set up for observation and you know I I had him patterned and and I got it done on the ground in September um, during early mudwater season slash bow season and anyway I kept monitoring trail cameras the rest of the season and a buck that I had seen uh, that had been running with this same 187 buck um, had popped up on trail camera and he was kind of now the dominant bucket in the area, and I called him touchdown because he has G2s that look like they're 13 inches tall apiece. I mean, they might be yeah. 11. I don't know what they are, but they're really tall. They just look like goal posts, but he's not real wide, so he just goes straight up like posts. but anyway, he's a 10-pointer, he's a and he has weak G4s, so almost kind of just an 8, but um, he's been on my radar since then, He's still alive, as far as I know. I have pictures of him and sheds, um, sheds from two years ago. Uh, that year that that I, sh- I shot that one eighty-seven buck, I picked up this buck shed the following spring, uh, and then I did not find his shed again this spring. But anyway, um, that buck I was after in twenty sixteen. And that was my main main number one buck that I wanted to go after. I had pictures of him throughout the summer. I, I didn't have as many photos of him as, as normal. So I knew that he was, he was calling a different spot, kind of his summer range. he would kind of filter through maybe once a week or once every other week. And so I knew he was around, but he wasn't giving me a pattern early. Um, and so, I then ended up finding out that I had a buddy that was hunting a neighboring property that was after him. And we kind of talked with one another and I decided that I wasn't going to, you know, step in and kind of get in his way. Not that I, not that I was going to get in his way, but I knew that he was addicted to this buck as well. And and I just didn't want it to be a difficult situation. So I just kind of left that area alone and I just kind of let him hunt that deer because he was kind of, between his property and, and over on mine, just maybe like 20% of the time. So I knew, it was, you know, because I didn't have a very good chance one and two, I knew he was very, very into that hunt that I just didn't go after him. So I decided to, to set my sights in a different area. And I basically just kind of started from scratch cause I didn't really have a hit list buck that I wanted after that deer. So I just kind of went out, uh, early November. And I, I seen a buck from a distance. I was just scouting from my truck through my spotting scope, looking at a couple of different uh, kind of drainages that led to some some winter wheat fields and stuff like that. Um, and I seen a really nice frame moving through, through a really tall kind of weedy draw bottom. And it was, the weeds are so tall, you could see was a glimpse of his rack every once in a while. And so I knew that there was a good potential shooter in the area. And so I just kept visiting that spot. <clears throat> and I went back. And I think it ended up, I set up, um, I, I moved in a little bit closer on foot with a spotting scope and a video camera and, and a decoy just in case he happened to be, you know, I, I figured that I was going to be South of him probably oh, a quarter of a mile or something like that. But the draw actually came clear up to where I was sitting. And so I knew it was just kind of, uh, there was a small chance that I would get an opportunity. So obviously I took my bow and everything set up. It was like the November 3rd I think it was so I set up hoping just to scout get an eye on him you know get a little bit more of a definite spot where I could see him crossing or something like that or I could move in again the next night and ended up getting a good pattern or or I thought it was a good pattern moved in Uh, I I got video of him walking away I I tried rattling at him kind of right at last light and he looked but he wasn't really that
0: interested
1: and he was traveling all by himself. Um, there were other deer in the area, but he was, it didn't act like he was even paying attention to any does or anything like that, even November the 3rd. And so I was like, well, he's still on a pattern. I'm going to move in. So I ended up hunting hard like the fourth and the fifth evenings on that same pattern where I seen him traveling to food and I never did get an opportunity and never seen him and didn't know what happened. So I kind of backed out and, I kind of, you know, broadened my scouting again a little bit more and I ended up picking him up a half a mile South of where I had originally set up on him. And this was on the morning of November 5th. Um, I was overlooking a big CRP field and I seen him and he had finally found a doe that he liked and he had singled her off out in the middle of a a quarter section of CRP. And I seen him, bed down with her and, and get up and reposition And I pretty much watched him for two hours and got great video and photos through a spotting scope and stuff like that of him. And, um, once he finally settled in for the day, it usually seems like, you know, in the mornings, yeah, they'll bed and they're, they they don't like that sun hitting them. So they'll bed down, but then it's like, they feel like they still want to move here and there and they're not totally satisfied with their, their day bedding area. Until it's like mid mid morning or late morning even, so ended up finally getting into the middle of the day and and he got a good bedding spot and <clears throat> so I called a buddy and I wanted him to come out with me because I I like to get video if at all possible even if it's from a distance or something I just like to to have something and so he came out and uh, we ended up crawling and getting within a couple hundred yards. And, and, uh, I ended up presenting a decoy to him. as just a swallow. So, uh, uh, the heads up, you, you've had those guys on your podcast before.
0: Yep.
1: And, uh, he, he didn't, the doe seemed the doe stood up and seen it. And she acted like she wasn't totally accepting of it. And I don't know if it's because she thought maybe, yeah, and the 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 deer or the decoy that I was shooting or that I was using was a whitetail buck decoy. And so she saw the rack, I'm pretty sure. And, and I'm wondering if she didn't think, Oh, there's another buck moving in. Um, I, I'm wondering if she had the buck that she wanted or she was with the buck that she wanted and she just didn't want any part of the other one or what it was, but anyway, it, the decoy thing didn't work in that instance. And so it kind of, Scurried off, and they they weren't scared because they didn't see a human. They just didn't like the situation. They moved off, and they didn't leave the field, but they because I mean this this field was tall grass, and so they just rebedded. And so I basically kind of forgot about the decoy because I knew that the the first negative was not going to work out. So right. um, ended up crawling in, and I got to within. Probably about sixty yards or so is my guess, and they both kind of stood up, and and I tried to I tried to get in position for a shot, and I, I think they saw something they didn't like. Well, the doe finally ended up just like splitting off of the buck, and the doe went one direction, and when when the buck stood up, he didn't really see exactly which direction the doe went, and so he was confused, and so um, I think the doe just. Kind of made a big loop, and and then he was able to kind of pick her up from a distance. And the the cool thing was, is I I knew that if I could get between him and her, like it was a very good chance of him passing within bow range. Well, right. that's exactly what happened. He was so attuned to where she was at that, and and the wind was blowing, so my my sound was covered, and I was able to you know get Billy crawled in to where I thought would be a good spot between he and she. And uh, sure enough, he passed within he passed within 50 yards, and I had to make a a quick judgment. I, I knew that I would have to draw my bow, and then raise up above the weeds and, and make my shot fairly quickly because I knew that I couldn't lift up, clicking with a rangefinder, put the rangefinder down, clip on my my D loop get pulled back and shoot all all you know in this time and so I was just studying and studying and and I seen him coming and he was you know I guessed him at 50 yards or I'm sorry I guessed him at 40 yards and I have a CBE three pin sight and I just dialed it to, to 50 yards and or 40 yards I'm sorry and I made the shot and unfortunately the arrow fell just a little bit low my estimation was a little bit less than what he was, I think he was more like forty five or fifty. Well, I just grazed his brisket right under his heart and it it kinda cut him in one of the front legs, which obviously none of us like to wound a deer. <laughs> right. So that happened and luckily he was bleeding pretty good and he didn't want any part of the dough after that anymore. He went and bedded off by himself and after kinda gathering my things and kind of reanalyzing the situation and, and letting him kind of get settled back into his spot and, and I knew he wasn't going to want to move a whole lot uh, and I knew it wasn't a fatal shot or at least I didn't think it was and so I waited a few hours just to you know make sure he wasn't just going to kind of put his head down and he just kept holding his head up and I knew that I had to I had to go in for a follow up and luckily I ended up making the right move and getting within range Angie and, and getting a good shot once he kind of stood up toward evening and I made a perfect shot on, on him on the second one. So it was a little more of an adventure than I wanted it to be. But as we all know, everything doesn't go perfect with a bow and arrow.
0: So, right. Absolutely. Now, when you hit him and found out he wasn't fatally wounded, did he, Hmm. did he know you were there or did he just like, Oh shit, what happened? And like kind of trot off. He pretty much just, trotted off. He didn't really know what happened.
1: I mean... He didn't catch your I wind or saw, anything, did he? No, the wind was perfect for me. Um, there's no way he smelled me or anything like that. I do think, you know, once once I raised up to release the arrow, I think he, he you know, he obviously looked at me and he saw something wasn't right. And so he wasn't so startled that he just ran a mile went, uh, and one He, you know, had been hit. But once he went off Probably 500 yards. He just found a spot that he wanted to lay down, and he was content with staying in the same area. And he wasn't on alert really. He he kind of he put his head down, you know, kind of to rest several times, and then he kind of picked it back up. And he didn't act like he was just keyed up on, you know, someone sneaking back in
0: on him. I mean, he was he was relaxed. So, gotcha. And then you how how far was the second shot? I ended up getting within about.
1: I think it was and it was as the day progressed the wind went down like it always does or usually does and so as I got closer and closer I had to pick the times where I could make movements through that tall grass and so like you'd get a gust of wind and I'd go you know a few more yards and then just keep you know keep waiting him out and waiting the wind out and, and try to pick your best time to get snuck in and you know that's one thing a flatlander learns
0: real quick is, yeah. is the tactics of spotting and stalking. So, right. right, yeah. So, so okay. You mentioned something about scouting. Uh, mm-hmm. it, when you went, you know, you you pretty much backed off the one property. You let your buddy have it. You went mm-hmm. to another piece of property that you had access to, and you you were telling me you were saying I was scouting. So, is scouting for right. you because it is so flat? like parking on a road and using a spotting scope or are you doing any type of boots on the ground looking for trails and and footprints and rubs or scrapes or any sign like that it's half and half um there's a lot of times where i'll just you know
1: go on a walk with my bow you know and and yeah it's a lot of flat with stuff out here with a, a little bit of mixture of drainages and small draws and trees and stuff like that um so I'm always looking for deer sign and I do have good luck with trails and scrapes. And, and I've, you know, if you find a scrape out here, uh, it's usually under one of the few trees that we have. And so that's usually a really good area to, to pick up pictures and take inventory of bucks. And so, um, that is one tactic. Yes, you're right. And then the other is, is I'll, I'll take a backpack with a spotting scope and a tripod and I'll march, you know, if I can't, I don't like to drive to my glassing location as much. I mean, yeah, there's, there's roads that, you know, there's a lot of times where you you can see deer off of a road, but from, from my experience, the times that I've spotted the biggest mature bucks, it's places where you can, it cannot be seen from a vehicle. And so I might have to march a half a mile to, a higher ridge so that I can see just over the ridge, right at, you know, right at dusk when they might feel comfortable stepping out of cover or something like that. So, right. um, you do have to work at it. It's not quite as serious as like extreme Western hunting. So, you know, you're not having to hike terrain and, and stuff like that as much. You're, you're just putting some, some boots
0: on the ground and going at it. So, right. Right. So, you ended up taking, you know, that was November 4th, right? Or n- November 6th or 5th when you shot this buck? That was the 6th when I shot mine. The 6th. Okay. So the the, <clears throat> the late morning of the 6th, right? Or a- early Correct. afternoon? Okay. All right. Right. Yep. All right. So you got this buck down, right? And mm-hmm. you're happy, right? You're happy with this mm-hmm. deer. And then you're Absolutely. like you're like, "Okay, now it's the wife's turn." Right? Yeah. So yep. Did you approach going, you know, taking your wife the same way? Like, okay, let's go to a property. Let's do some scouting through the spotting scope. Uh, let's see if we can locate anything. Or did you did you see the buck that she, or know about the buck that she went after?
1: <clears throat>
0: well, unfortunately, I had zero history with the buck she shot. Okay. It was in a
1: totally different area than we normally hunt. Um, what exactly happened was because we didn't have I'm going to back up real quick um so what happened right after you know we took a few days off of course after I shot my buck got things taken care of and then I think it was the following weekend or something like that Mm -hmm. we decided to go out to that same area where my buddy was hunting that big buck and by this time he had told me a couple different stories and and he let him kind of slip through his fingers a couple different times and I knew he was frustrated and he kind of gave up for a little while and he was just kind of taking one of those moments that you need, you know, to kind of recoup. And right. so I decided I was going to go back out in that area and I'm going to check my trail cameras. Cause it, it, it had been, you know, I hadn't checked them since late October and I knew obviously, um, you know, this, at this time it was right around the 10th or 12th of November, which is absolutely prime time. And so I, I slipped in and I checked the cameras and sure enough, he's there. Like, I mean, Three four days in a row during daylight. I mean, moving right through this uh, kind of a, a cedar tree row um, you know, shelter for
0: cattle and stuff like that. So we same decided buck, that we were going to same set buck originally, right? This is the same buck this that is, he, this buddy, you left because this buddy was hunting, right? Exactly. Okay, exactly. I got gotcha. you. But what had
1: happened <laughs> was my buddy, he had pressured him enough and messed a couple hunts up that ended up jumping over onto the side where there was no pressure since I had been leaving it alone. So now he's fair game for us. And we had a pattern on him and I told my wife, we have got to act on this pattern. I said, it's very rare, you know, it's prime time. It's very rare that you get daylight movement on a, I mean, he was, he was six years old last year and he's, if he's alive, he'll be seven and a half this year. And Obviously, the prime of his life. I mean, as big as he'll be. So, last year, I'm guessing somewhere around the mid-160s is basically an eight-point. I mean, just a, a big old frame buck. Yeah. And <clears throat> so, anyway, he shows up on trail camera. We slip in one evening. And this, keep in mind, there's a couple different patches of, like, cedar tree rows and stuff. And it, it's kind of around a farmstead. And it it's in the same area that I shot my 187. And uh, this buck is basically just running through these tree rows, chasing does because it's a perfect doe bedding area. <clears throat> and so we ended up slipping in there and set up for evening, just, just kind of a still hunt in the evening, uh, a ground hunt. Kind of made ourselves a natural little blind out of the cedar limbs and stuff. And I ended up not seeing him on a normal, you know, pattern or anything. He wasn't moving through there and so I decided I would start a little rattling and grunting. And <clears throat> I didn't know this until later on, but after one of my rattling and grunting sequences, he had came out of a different patch of trees that was north of us. Oh uh, it's it separated by like a small crop field, but there was about a two hundred yard patch of trees to our north. <clears throat> that buck had stepped out of those trees. And the reason I know this is because I had talked to the farmer afterwards and he goes, Hey, I seen that big buck you were talking about. And I'm like, well, which one are you talking about? And he goes, Oh, that, that big racked one, you know, and he's not a hunter. So he was just, you know, kind of ho-humming through there and <clears throat> ended up, he goes, yeah, you're, you're pick-. he was standing within 20 yards of your pickup. And I know that this is the exact same night because that was the only night we hunted out there, and we left the tailgate down with our bowcases sitting on the tailgate because w- this was on private land away from any roads. And anyway, yeah, the farmer had kind of made a pass through there right at last light, and unfortunately, I think that's the reason why he didn't he, we didn't get him called in that night. I honestly believe that we called him out of that patch of trees. The farmer came through and seen him, and I think that's what made him kind of go back in the cover, I truthfully believe that that deer was coming to our call that night because he, he told me the exact time and obviously it was the time of hunting. And so anyway, um, that was kind of an unfortunate, unfortunate circumstance. And we ended up trying one or two more hunts on that buck and ended up, I think he ended up moving on to, you know, chase the doe herds, wherever that might've been. But anyway, so back to Kendra's 180, um, this was Around November the I think thirteenth or something like that. It was a Sunday, whatever Sunday it was twenty sixteen in that mid November time. Um, so I told Kendra, I said, "Well, I'm kind of back to the drawing board again. Let's just kind of go on a you know we're we got a babysitter. It's just you and I. Let's enjoy the day. Let's just go cruising and let's get to the rut. Let's see if we can just get lucky and find something up checking those." chasing does whatever and then maybe get lucky and you know cut one off bed one down whatever so that happened we see some bucks uh chasing a few does and this was a long ways off so I put the spotting scope on my on my pickup window dial it up and there's two bucks that just were getting ready to get into a fight over one hot doe and the buck that Kendra ended up shooting fought off another buck that was no slouch by any means he was probably in the 150s and took this doe and bedded her down in a pasture fence line that had weeds grown up in the pasture fence line so it's not close you know it was close enough to the fence that it didn't get farmed from the crop field it was adjacent to it and you jump the fence from that crop field and you're into like a cattle pasture for digging so they bed down in this. It was a wheat a wheat stubble field, so the stubble was probably I don't know, thigh high or something like that. And the deer felt comfortable out in it because when they laid down, they could pretty much disappear. And so we found them too. They bedded down, and we got the wind in our favor, and we started crawling, and we got to a corner fence post where her and I both felt comfortable and and thought that we could maybe present the decoy. I, We knew that the decoy would likely work because of his aggression and his, you know, seeing him fight off another buck. So I knew he was going to move to fight and I knew he was willing to stand his ground. So we presented that heads up buck decoy. And we got to that corner post and I guess we were going to be south of him roughly 50 to 80 yards or something like that. Well, my wife, I'm I only feel comfortable letting her shoot out to about 40 most of the time 30 is the best case scenario so I knew that we were going to have to do some coaxing to get him to close the distance the rest of the way because it wasn't a real windy day it was pretty quiet so I knew that our noise would probably end up being a problem so we got to where we wanted to be and I knew I knew that it was going to be up to the deer to pretty much seal the deal or, or cut the distance so we got there and i there's a bunch of weeds in this corner where the the pasture took a turn. It was a 90 degree corner post. And like I said, there was several tall weeds. So I could basically almost stand up on the backside of these weeds and, and look down the fence line where he was laying. Well, I'm I, I peek up at the binoculars and I'm looking. And as soon as I pull up the binoculars, when we got to that corner post, all I could see was, was ears like coming our direction Well, the doe had had already gotten up and she was working our direction and it just it was just one of those times during the rut she was uneasy she was in heat he was uneasy following her you know wherever she was going and it just so happened that we got there at the perfect time she had already gotten to about 30 or 40 yards and he was five or 10 yards behind her so I hit the ground. I kind of pulled Kendra down, and I said, get right next to me. I said, he's going he's gonna to be right here in short order. And she was able to kind of peek around a small clump of the weeds, and basically we were, at that point we started kind of a stand down with the buck because he had kind of moved out away from the fence, and now he was more in plain sight for Kendra since she was off to my side. Did
0: um, he, see, so I was did he see
1: the decoy? at this point at this point when we first got there and he had closed the distance before we were a hundred percent ready we didn't have the decoy up initially so what happened was since he was at like 30 yards already and he he was kind of facing our direction we were camoed enough with the weeds that he wasn't concerned about a human presence there but And and he would just kind of look, look our direction and then look back at the doe. So I knew he may have, you know, wondered if there was another deer in the area or something. He was sure checking out the area. So I knew that I had to slowly ease up the decoy just to kind of ease his mind that, that it was a deer and not, not an intruder. So, um, I did that and I basically just slid, I kind of like slid the decoy over in front of Kendra because he could see her almost, you know, it was getting, getting to the point where it was almost plain sight because she was kind of running out of weeds on her side. Right. And so I kind of slid the decoy over in front of her, and I said, and she was, you know, she was whispering, do I draw, do I draw? And I said, just hold off. I said, just be patient. I think he's going to, you know, I think the decoy's going to calm him down a little bit, you know. And I, I wasn't telling her all this. I just kind of whispered, no, you know, don't draw. And I just had a feeling that he was gonna just chill out because one, the doe didn't see
0: us; she was not going anywhere, therefore he was not going anywhere. So, um, so wait a so second. I split, how, at this point, how far is he, and is he quartered? Like, is he he's facing you dead on, or is he quartered at all? He is quartering too. He presented his like the front. The only shot at
1: that point would have been the front of his. Like if she would have wanted to shoot him in front of the right shoulder. So he was quartering you. to us and he, he was looking our direction, but he wasn't just like ears forward, just trying to pick us off. You know, he was, he was looking our way, but he wasn't convinced that we were a problem yet. Any so wind? The wind was very minimal, but we had it in our face. It was, gotcha. it was blowing out of the North and they were to our North. So everything was good there. Um, and so, like I said, I, and he was, like I said, he was according to it at only 30 yards. He just, they closed the distance so quick. Honestly, it was almost, we almost got busted because they got there before we did, you know? Right. but luckily we were there and we had, we were on our knees. The problem was we were looking through a barbed wire fence and oh boy. arrows and barbed wire fences, I've had some bad luck with. So right. um, we were concerned about where her arrow was going to come out of the bow, whether it was going to miss the fence, you know, cause we were only like two feet on the backside of this. So, you know, I, I had, I had confidence that she could, you know, try to maneuver per, for a position to where we had a pretty good chance of slipping that arrow through. And so it felt like 10 minutes went on and it was like a stare down and he seen, he's seen the decoy. And then he would, he would look at us and you could tell that he didn't, he didn't like another deer in the area. And then he would look at the doe and you could yeah. tell that he was just keeping close tabs on her. So as time went on, um, basically I got tired of being on my knees and my legs had falling asleep. Kendra was ready to make a move. You know, he, he was getting more impatient and I knew that we had to, to make something happen. You know, I, I was trying yeah. to be as patient as possible, but it was time. So. I, I told Kendra, I said, I'm going to slide the decoy in front of you a little more. And I said, I want you to draw your bow behind the decoy. And I said, as soon as you get your bow drawn, I'm going to take the decoy back away from you, move it to the side toward me a little more. And I want you to lean out around the decoy, try to raise up and get your, get to where you think your arrow will go through the fence. And I said, he's exactly 30 yards. And by this time he had turned broadside, luckily and he was quartering to like very, very slightly, but he, he had exposed the vitals behind that front shoulder and that exactly, everything p- happened perfectly. She drew her bow. I moved the the decoy away so that she could get an arrow by the decoy. And as soon as I moved that decoy, he, his ears came forward and his head went up and you could tell that he knew that something was not right. right. Well, Kendra settled the pin, squeezed it off. And he snorted, and it hit him absolutely perfect behind that front shoulder. I didn't see it 100% because I had a, the video camera in one hand, and the decoy kind of held in the, in the same hand, but using two hands to kind of decoy, it, it, it was an awkward situation. But. Right. So I was looking at the viewfinder on the camera, and I didn't see exactly where she had hit him. And he went out there and ran about 150 yards, and maybe 100, and he stops and he looks back at us, like wondering what just happened. And he did not act hurt at all. And I'm like, did you hit him? Did you hit him? And, and she's like, well, I thought so. And he just stood there. And I'm like, well, let's just get down and watch him, you know? And I'm thinking, Oh, here we go. We're going to, you know, (laughs) something went wrong. Right. Well, all of a sudden he tried to, he tried to take off running again and his back legs kind of went out from under him. It's like his hips kind of gave way, And I knew at that time he was starting to feel the, uh, the lack of oxygen and she yeah. had double lung getting and perfect. And, and he just went on down at that point. So we watched him go down on camera and, and then the celebration was on of course. And to be real honest with you, um, I, I knew he was a good buck. I knew he had an awesome 10 point frame and I knew he had good math, but this was one that grew 20 inches when you walk up to him. Really? I thought he was somewhere around 160 and <laughs> we walk up there and his main beam mass is bladed all the way around. His brow tines are, I forgot the measurements, but they're like 10 inches. They, they go up and then they kind of curl backwards. And so when he's looking at you, it doesn't look like his brow tines are as long, yeah. but when you look at him from kind of the side view or the back, you, those brow tines curl back and they're just inches like crazy on those brow tines. And, yeah. he's just an awesome awesome he's kind of a compact frame but the mass and and the brow
0: time length are what make him just amazing so man I I while you were saying that talking about that I pulled up the video of your wife's yep. hunt uh, of you in mm-hmm. that hunt <laughs> I it it abs like I said at the at the start of the show it absolutely blows me away that a hunter, can be successful you guys can be successful and it's because i, I i'm not used to it myself right so mm-hmm. uh, there's no trees it's flat forever <laughs> and yeah. you know this buck is walking in the middle of uh, some tall grass or you know some it would it, the grass is coming up to the belly of this buck and mm-hmm. they stick out kind of like a sore thumb to a trained eye like, you know what you're looking for. And I'm right. almost sure that you guys in a way are sticking out even with camo on at, you know, if you were to stand up and walk. So, mo- oh, yeah. it's very easy to see movement out there, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, it just blows me away and then, you know, to sit here and listen to you guys be successful in these conditions is, is just amazing. And and watching, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to make sure that um I, I share the video uh, with all the listeners, but um, it's uh, dude. I, I want to. I can't wait to get out to the flatlands again, like Nebraska or North or South Dakota mm-hmm. or Kansas, and give this th- give this stuff a try. Because um, the guys who are doing it, especially the you know, not necessarily with the heads up decoy, but with decoys in general, out like what you guys are doing, just kind mm-hmm. of it's so cool. It's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a different style of hunting and it's, it's one
1: style that I've adapted to using. And I, I used to be that guy that, you know, I would no matter what, sit in the ground blind or a tree stand a hundred percent of the time. Right. And yeah, I would see good deer way off in the distance or something. And I wouldn't really act upon it. Yeah. Um, I've I've gotten to the point now where if you don't take advantage, like it's very rare that you see a deer, a mature deer, let alone a deer of the caliber that we were fortunate enough to take. If you see a deer, you're probably not going to find them again tomorrow because, because it's so flat, they are so nocturnal. And because, like you mentioned a little bit ago, when they stand up and they move, everybody can see them and they know it. And so the only time they're willing to stand up is when there is a hot doe and they have a job to do. Yeah. And if you don't take advantage of a few days a year during that time frame, it's very unlikely that you're going to find a mature buck out here. It's so difficult to find one. So right. now you can untrail cameras and find a water hole That's you know, because there's a little less water than, than some places. And so you can usually find them around water or if you can find a, a funnel area or uh, a ravine or creek bottom or something you can you can find deer via trail camera, but putting the puzzle pieces together to actually kill him and find him during, during daylight is like
0: yeah a Rubik's cube. It's difficult. Right. So, so your wife just shoots uh, a 180. You know, obviously you said that uh, it got bigger as you walked up on it, but mm-hmm. when your wife walked up on it, what? I mean, did she know what she shot? <laughs> so
1: she is there for the experience, and she, yeah, she, she likes shooting a big buck, and she was floored by the mass. That was one thing, right. you know, when, when my wife, you know, which has half the size of hands I do, you know, grabs onto a main beam like that, her jaw drops you know she yeah. can't hardly put her hand around it and she's she knew that she had gotten something special right. um she didn't she she didn't believe that it was a 180 at that time because again the, the frame of this deer looks fairly compact but the mass just goes crazy and, and adds up a ton of inches so
0: right yeah man that's awesome well i'll tell you what man uh I am going to rewatch some of your, you know, for for those of you guys who are listening right now, go to YouTube and just type in Travis Glassman, and he has a ton of awesome footage of giant deer. So that's fun to watch. Um, so you mentioned you had you've seen some deer this year. Uh, anything at all close to what you've got in the past, or uh, do some of these deer just kind of show up when? You know when the rut hits. Nothing. So obviously, I'm still in hopes of of
1: getting a pattern together for touchdown. If he's still alive, again, I haven't gotten pictures of him since back in December, and at that time, his body weight had had went down drastically from the rut. I don't know if he made it through the winter. Again, I did not find his shed. Right and. From the the guy that was hunting him all last year, he hasn't uh, checked his trail cameras yet. So um, I'm fairly certain that he'll let me know if he finds him um, or maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> right. We'll see. But right. anyway, um, if he's alive, he will get his picture taken by one of my trail cameras eventually this season. So right. I, I have confidence in that. Um, but anyway, that's, that's the buck that I would really like to see. And and if I can put a pattern together, I will probably move in on him. Um, and there was one other 10 pointer that was in the same area of the buck that I shot last year and I ended up passing him up and I actually, uh, kind of called my dad off of him during rifle season in December because he is going to be something special. Uh, he needed he needed to grow up at least one more year I, i'm really looking forward to seeing what he'll become so yeah. if if he shows back up and i get an eye on him that's probably going to be my main target uh, unless i get a slammed up pattern on on mr touchdown so
0: right so you heading out of state at all to any other hunts because I, I know you uh what last year you went on a mule deer hunt as well right yeah uh, my brother and I had had that was our sixth year of going out to Wyoming for mule deer
1: and um, we unfortunately were not successful last year and when i when I say not successful that just means that we didn't take a deer. We were successful because we had opportunities at decent bucks um, and just just chose not to to kill anything. We kind of set our bar fairly high because we've been fortunate enough to shoot several muley and whitetail be a spot in stock and we just kind of you know made our own bed when we didn't come home with anything so right. um but anyway this year um he's expecting his fourth boy in september and so that pretty mm. much made his trip non-existent <laughs> and so yeah yeah i know um luckily i have another buddy who has been trying to get me to go with him on an elk hunt uh to idaho and this was the year that I said yes, because I, my brother couldn't make it. So we are going to Idaho, um, in about the 13th of September through think about the 25th or something like that. So, um, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, it's going to be a little bit different. Well, it's going to be more of a terrain that I'm comfortable with because it's not as uh, mountainy. Um, it's a little more kind of desert rolling Hills type stuff and, He, my buddy who's, who's asked me to go along. He has another friend that he met through work that lives up in that area and, and he knows the area and he feels confident that we'll at least see some, some bowls and have some opportunities. So we're really looking forward to that. So,
0: well, I'll tell you what, Travis, you're the gift that kind of keeps on giving because (laughs) you're the guy, you're the guy who goes out, kills a ton of stuff and has awesome stories every time you come on the podcast. So I can't wait to interview you you again this next year well
1: i look forward to it every year i hope that i keep having awesome stories for you because it sure is fun talking about it
0: (laughs) well and it depends obviously though it depends on who kills the big buck in the the glassman family because it may not be you i interview it may be your wife you know what i would be tickled to death if that were the case (laughs) (laughs) absolutely that's what i'm talking about so heck yeah and, man again good luck this upcoming season on all your endeavors uh tell your wife i said good luck to her as well and uh, uh until next time you bet dan i enjoyed it as always take care man huge shout out to travis for coming on the podcast and uh, sharing his awesome 2016 season with us huge shout out to you guys um as always, thank you very much for taking time to download and listen to this podcast. I really appreciate it. And, oh, I forgot. Good luck to uh, Kendra, his wife as well, uh, Travis's wife. Um, she played a huge role in his season as well. And it sounds like uh, I, I saw some trail camera pictures from this past weekend. And it looks like they have some more deer to chase down there or in Kansas huge shout out to each and every one of the partners that support this podcast uh lone wolf exodus ozonix gearhead wasp ripcord Arrowrest, deer lab bighorn outfitters thank you guys very much for your support i really appreciate it and um please go out and support those companies because they support this podcast and uh, some of them give away some kick-ass deals as well other than that it's monday and the deer hunting season is getting close if not already here for some states i'm i'm starting to shake my boots like I know I got a kid coming, so I know that October's going to mean less tree stand time. But what, dude, I am so jacked for this rut. Um, I can't wait to get out there and do the finishing touches uh, to prepare for this season. Um, I might even hang another tree stand. So guys, please, if you're doing any type of tree stand work or you're already out here pretty soon doing some hunting in the tree, please, for the love of God, wear your damn safety harness. Have a good week.